Hi, and welcome to this week's podcast, which is entitled Beating Myself Up. This is a topic that I feel very strongly about for two reasons. One, over my 30 years, I've done quite a lot of coaching, and this has been a frequent topic of people I've chatted with. Uh, But secondly, it's something that's close to my heart, because in many ways, I... I'm somebody who does this quite a lot, so and have done, particularly in the past, and I hope I've improved over the years, but it's something that's quite personal for me, and so as I'm talking about something that might help you, I know these top 10 tips have definitely and absolutely helped me. So these are my top 10 tips to help you if you're in the situation of having a tendency to beat yourself up. So, beating myself up, tip number one. It's not me that's flawed, it's my response or my strategy. Very often we get into a mindset where our response to criticism or failure or mistakes is to take a particular approach that's not helpful in the way we think it through. It doesn't mean that we're flawed. Actually, we're just human. But the way we deal with it, our strategy, our our response is flawed. So it's not us that are flawed. It's the way we deal with it. So tip number one is to remember it's not me that's flawed. It's the strategy or response I'm using to deal with anything that I regard as a a mistake or, or a failure. Tip number two is not to place impossible expectations on yourself. Don't set yourself a a way of living, a way of delivering to other people that allows you no room for manoeuvre or variation or, to put it bluntly, making mistakes, to being human. All humans make mistakes. So as soon as we give ourselves the the view that we are mistake-proof, we are flawless, we're not only giving ourselves a really hard time, but we're placing expectations on ourselves that nobody else in the world places upon us. So don't have impossible expectations of yourself. That's tip number two. Tip number three, don't have double standards. This one's really powerful for me. I give myself a really hard time when I get things wrong. And I would never ever give anybody else a hard time for making a similar mistake. Absolutely not. I live double standards. I am incredibly hard on myself and not hard on anybody else at all. So if if I spill something, I might self-mortify, you know, beat myself up. But if somebody else spills something, I don't even notice it. It's just one of those things. So I'm very generous, if you like, in my acceptance of other people and their flaws and their mistakes. I don't even think of it as flaw. I just think of it being ordinary in life. But absolutely, if I do something like that, I give myself a hard time for quite a while. So tip number three, don't have double standards. If you're going to be forgiving and accepting and generous to other people, come on, do the same to you. They do. Tip number four. Three things associated with tip number four. It's all about how you you mentally approach something. Stop mind reading, hypothesizing, and catastrophizing. And I do all three of those. Mind reading is to anticipate what the other person is going to say or think. 
without any basis or evidence that that's what they're going to do. And that assumption about what they're going to say or think is always negative. They'll think the worst of me, they'll think badly of me, they'll think I'm useless, they'll think I can't deliver. A, I don't know because I've not checked, I've got no way of knowing, so I'm just mind reading, guessing, assuming. And two, see the point above. Why would they do that? I wouldn't do that for them. I wouldn't think of all those negative things. So why should I think they think it of me? So stop mind reading. Either ask them or remember double standards. Be as generous with yourself as you would be with somebody else. And then hypothesizing. Hypothesizing is creating an if-then. You know, if they do this, then that's okay. But if I do this, then that's not okay. And I create a hypothesis that if I do something, then they're going to find it unacceptable or a sign of my weakness. So stop it. Stop creating false if-thens. You know, I was once working with somebody who said, you know, his girlfriend hadn't phoned him for a couple of days, so he was hypothesising that it was all over, that she'd run off with some, you know, what? what? And I was saying to him, well, maybe, maybe she'd left her phone somewhere, or maybe she hasn't got a battery, maybe she's got a flat battery and it's, it hasn't got a recharger, Any, anything could be And of course, later on, I find out that either of those are true and there was nothing wrong with the relationship at all. But people construct hypotheses of the worst case scenario or outcome. That's hypothesizing. And catastrophizing is, is similar, isn't it? It's, it's seeing everything as leading to a catastrophe. So if I make a mistake with a client, miss an appointment, then they're going to cancel all future work with me. That's a catastrophe, you know. And as I'm saying this now, I know how ridiculous it sounds. But at the time, it feels plausible. It feels real. So three things there. Don't mind read, particularly providing a negative mind read. Don't hypothesize if then outcomes that are going to be negative and stop catastrophizing and blowing something up that's really quite small scale into something that's out of all proportion. So that's tip number four. Stop mind reading, hypothesizing and catastrophizing. Tip number five, and this may be the biggest one of all, just accept your humanity. Just accept that you belong to this, this club called the human race. And if you belong to it, you are flawed. I don't mean F-L-O-O-R-E-D. I mean F-L-A-W-E-D. Flawed. We all have flaws. We're not perfect. There is nobody on this planet who's perfect. And that includes you. It includes me. Just accept that we're all flawed. Just live comfortably, if you can, with the discomfort of accepting your humanity. More about that in some later tips. Because tip number six follows on from that. If you can accept that you're flawed, and this was a big breakthrough for me, it means freedom. It means I don't have to put myself under that kind of pressure to be perfect or flawless I just have to accept that I'll always do my best. And sometimes that won't be good enough. Sometimes I'll make a mistake. Sometimes I'll forget something. Sometimes I can't please everybody all the time. You know, it's a bit of a trade-off. I might have to say no to one person in order to say yes to somebody else. It's just 
life. It's just what humans have to live with. And when I got to this, that we're all flawed, we're all human, accept my humanity, and in a sense, that's close to humility. I'm, I'm humble about that. You know, I, I will always do my best. I can never be perfect, but I can always do my best. So part of acceptance is freedom. Freedom all from that crushing oppression I put on myself and you may put on yourself to be perfect. So, tip number six, acceptance is freedom. Tip number seven, this may be more uncomfortable, but it's definitely, in my case, my evidence, true. Being flawed and accepting that you're flawed is attractive to other people. It makes you more socially acceptable. It makes you one of us rather than stand alone on yourself. You see, everybody else we interact with knows that they are flawed and therefore don't expect you to be any different. And yet if you constantly beat yourself up or are constantly you're gnashing your teeth and rending your garments with rage, it's like why are you so different? We just live with the fact that we're flawed. Why are you trying to be somebody you can't be? Why are you trying to put yourself on a pedestal? Why are you trying? Why are you so precious about this? Let it go. Accept. And then you become one of them. You just become more attractive because you're one of the club. It's accepted to be accepting, to live with your misdemeanors and mistakes. We're just talking about everyday mistakes, not talking about you being corrupt or evil. We're just talking about you getting things wrong, forgetting things, being clumsy. It's okay. It's also, if I can use this word, equalizing. You know, don't other people aren't on pedestals. You start to put yourself on a pedestal of these high super achievements that can't be met. Why are you doing that? Come down, join us, be one of us. Be like us, not separate, not pedestalized, because the only person who's putting you on that pedestal is you. So, finally, on tip number seven, when you accept your flaws, and if you like, become one of us rather than one of you, it validates everybody else. Because if you set, if you like, a perspective that you can be perfect, it kind of makes some people think, mm, crikey, you can't think much of me then. Because I know I'm not. This is where that double standards comes in. But you know, we'd, we'd cause quite a bit of harm in our relationships if we judge ourselves harsher than we judge other people. Because other people think, if you judge yourself that harshly, you must be judging them that harshly. And so they may not be as comfortable in your company as you might like or think. If I set such high standards for myself, am I judging other people to be inadequate because they don't have those same standards? And of course, that's absolutely not true. But if I look at it through their eyes, it may well be true for them. So when you accept your humanity, your vulnerability, your weakness, it validates the same for them. 
it makes you acceptable and accepting of them for being human. They don't know you have double standards. They think that if you judge yourself that harshly, you judge others that harshly. Clearly not the case, but they're not to know it. So tip number seven, remember that being flawed has a lot of positives. It's attractive, makes you one of them, it makes you more accepted to them, it equalizes you with them, and it validates them. So it's really quite liberating to accept being flawed. Uh, tip number eight. <clears throat> I've mentioned this on other podcasts and it's about program interrupts. If you get yourself into a negative mental state of beating yourself up, because that's what it is, it's a mental state that's not helpful to anyone. One reason why it's not helpful is it's a distraction, isn't it? Instead of getting on by doing the best you can, you just dwell in the land of negative beating yourself up. So that's what you spend your time doing, which is absolutely non-productive. It takes you down, it takes down people who care about you, and nothing gets achieved. So, yeah, introduce a program interrupt. Whenever you feel yourself going down, give yourself what I call a good talking to. Now, there's a number of these. And next week, if you're interested, I'm going to give you my top 10 program interrupts that have really helped me in my life when I'm starting to go down the slippery slope of negative self-talk and beating myself up. These are the things. These are my cramping irons that I hurl out into the rock face to stop the slide. The kind of anchors to just stop me falling to rock bottom. And I'm going to give you next week my top 10 tips for program interrupts. They're all simple. They're just three or four words, but I've got them embedded. And I've I've more than 10. I'm just choosing my top 10 in the hope that there's one or two of these that might be useful for you. So tip number eight, use program interrupts to stop you sliding down the slope. Tip number nine, and something else I've said in the past, which is talk to people about how it is. Don't just keep it to yourself. One of the problems with beating yourself up is it's a self-fulfilling prophecy because you're doing it by yourself. There's no there's no alternative perspective coming in. So you just spiral downwards because nobody else is breaking that spiral. It's like a, a spiral like a hamster wheel, only it's a spiral. You're just running round and round and down and down and down and down. And a really good way out of that is to just share how you're feeling with somebody else. Keeping it to yourself is horrendous. It's very difficult to pull yourself out of it. Just finding a really good friend who will absolutely want to be there for you. That's what a friend is. And they will talk with you, listen to you. They won't try, I hope, and fix it for you. The only person who can fix it is you. But sometimes just saying it out loud to somebody else changes the dynamic somehow. It's not just spinning around in your head. You're able to verbalize it to somebody else. And that just may may be the only thing you need to change. To verbalize it to somebody else who's at least empathetic may just make the the state change that's necessary for you to to start to pull back out of the, the spiral. So tip number nine, talk to someone. And I, I use three words that help me with that. Express it, 
don't suppress it or distress it. So express it. Talk to someone. Don't suppress it. Don't bury it. Don't sit on it. And don't just get distressed about it. Suppressing it and getting distressed about it isn't going to help. But often expressing it does help. That's tip number nine. And tip number ten is a kind of five-step sequence that explains what's happening, I think. Uh, so those of you who like big pictures and maybe visuals, it would be quite nice if you have a pen and paper and maybe, if you haven't, just try visualising what I'm going to describe. Well, I'm describing a walk along towards a cliff face and I'm, I'm drawing that picture, the, 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 the surface of, of the, the walkway. It's a kind of horizontal line coming in from the right. And that's fine. You know, it's a smiley face. I'm fine. That's just the I'm fine step. And then something triggers you into beating yourself up. A mistake you've made, a piece of feedback. I don't know. It can be, it, you'll know. If I'm talking to someone who's in this state or has been in this state, you'll know. But for you, it's a particular trigger or set of triggers. And that sends you over the cliff into what I call step stage two. So stage one is... I'm fine. Everything's fine. Stage two is a trigger point which sends you into stage three, which is the crash. You're falling down the cliff and you don't have any anchors or branches to hang on to and stop the fall. You don't have a parachute. You don't have a pair of wings. You've got no safety harness. You're just in free fall. That's the crash. And that's when the negative self-talk and the beating yourself up occurs. And then you get to stage four which is another horizontal line, which is rock bottom. That's where you feel desperate, full of despair, self-loathing. And, and here's something I think is very powerful for me. I am able to use my intellect, my intelligence, if you like, to justify why I'm a failure and why I should be where I am. My natural in, instinct to be able to rationalise and, and th talk things and think things through just works against me because I can find good reasons to be like I am in this rock bottom state. So that's step four, stage four, rock bottom. Stage five is recovery. So stage five is the recovery. Now, this is resilience in a sense. Some people, and I think I'm one, I will hit rock bottom, but I won't stay there long. I will start to climb out. When I realize this is getting me nowhere, take a deep breath and I start to climb back out of the pit the rock bottom and that's step five and step six is I'm back back on track again I'm back on that horizontal cliff path that was also step one so it's like I'm walking along I fall off the cliff I hit rock bottom I lay there for a while I then because I'm resilient start to recover climb up the path again and onto the path and back to normal so six stages I'm fine trigger crash rock bottom recovery and return to normal or my normal and there are different strategies obviously in each of those but one of the things I will say is that if we think of those six steps I'm fine then the trigger kicks in then the crash happens then you're at rock bottom then you start recovery and then you return to normal the dangerous part of that is rock bottom that's where you may do harm to others or yourself because you're desperate, because there's no hope. So 
for you personally, if I'm talking to you as somebody who suffers from this, seek help if you're at rock bottom. Because left on your own and choosing to be on your own is the most dangerous time of your life. If you're good at recovery, or if you have somebody who can help you recover, that's brilliant. And you need to get to somebody yourself as soon as you can. And resilience helps. But you're more likely to push your fist through a pane glass window when you're at rock bottom. So that's, for me, I don't stay there long at all. But I know I won't drive if I'm at rock bottom or I'll pull over if I'm having a bad mental day. It's mental health. Of course it is. So be aware that step four is where the danger lies. And if you're a manager of somebody or a colleague of somebody and you can see that this is what's happening, then please intervene. At least offer to help and offer to talk. That's the only thing you really need to do or maybe can do. And then that's my top 10 tips. Bit, uh, a bit heavy perhaps for me, but um, I think really important. So if there's something in there that's helpful to you or to a colleague, then that's great. Just to run through the tips again briefly. Tip number one, it isn't me that's flawed. It's my response or strategy for dealing with it. Tip number two, don't place impossible expectations on or have them of yourself. Three, avoid double standards. If you treat others well, treat yourself well. Tip number four, stop mind reading, hypothesizing or catastrophizing. Tip number five, accept it. We're all flawed. Be human and accept your hum humanity. Tip number six, once you accept that you're like that, that you're like everybody else, it's, it's freeing. It's a, it's a form of freedom. Tip number seven, being flawed can be really attractive. It makes you one of everybody else, not somebody separate. It makes you more acceptable. It equalizes your relationships with other people and it validates their flawedness, if you like. So it's quite liberating. Tip number eight, have some program interrupts that stops you as you're falling down the cliff. As I've just mentioned, people don't have wings or safety harness or parachute to, to break the fall. My program interrupts are really good ways of trying to break the fall. It's a kind of parachute that slows down the descent or actually a pair of wings to help you fly on again. And I'm going to give you my top 10 program interrupts next week. Uh, tip number nine, talk to somebody, express, don't suppress and don't go into distress. Talking helps. And tip number 10, there are six steps in the process I've just been describing and the one that's most worrisome and to really, really try and avoid uh, certainly staying in it is, is step four, uh, rock bottom. So those are it, my top 10 tips. Um, I, you know, I hope you found some of them useful. Can I just say before I close, I think this is my 52nd or 53rd podcast. I'm actually running out of topics. So if any of you have anything you would like to hear some ideas about or some suggestions, what I might be able to offer some, some comments on, then please, please write to me at my email address uh, with a suggested topic or, or two or six, it doesn't matter, and I'll see if I can I can come up with something that might help. So my email address is arnie, A-R-N-I-E, at Effective Connect, all one word, E-F-E-C-T-I-V-E, -E, Effective Connect, C-O-N-N-E-C-T, but all one word, 
effectiveconnect.co.uk. So that's arnie at effectiveconnect.co.uk. So that's it. Thanks for listening. Bye for now.